Well, good morning, Grace Fellowship. How's everyone doing this morning? You guys are rocking out here, man. I'm going to move this so folks over there can see Leah as well. Can you see now? Awesome. Thank you. So real excited to be with you as we continue in our series um, called The Way of the Worshipper. And this week we're going to talk about the word halal. Uh, but before we do, I am really excited to have Leah with us this morning. So would you please give Leah a warm welcome. I thought I'd have opportunity before the body to kind of um, hear a little bit more from our worship leader and hear her heart for the body. But before we do that, would you be kind enough to join me as I pray for our time. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are a faithful God. Thank you that you are a God whose love endures forever and that your mercies are new every morning. Your faithfulness is unto the sky, God. I come before you now and acknowledge our desperate need for you today to encounter you, to see you for who you are and who we are in you. And we could not help, Lord, but fall on our faces before you and rise to our feet and sheep. Hallelujah, God. Hallelujah for who you are. So, Father, I pray now for this time with Leah, and after that, for the word that you've deposited. God, I pray that you would guide us in a path of righteousness for your namesake. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Leah, thanks so much for being with us today. So excited to have you and Andrew here at Grace Fellowship Church. What a gift you are. Yeah. So, you know, you and I... Um, met this week and we talked a little bit about this but can you share a little bit about your longings for the body of grace and worship but not only that but the church overall like what is what are the longings that God has planted in your heart for us well um is this on you can hear me um well first of all we just we're just overwhelmed since we've been here I think it's been like what eight months or something like been? that I have no idea. It feels like 80 years. It feels years. like years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, like we know just, you. Yeah, we just feel so at home, and we just love all of you so much, and just leading you in worship every single Sunday is just such an honor. Um, and uh, every, no matter where I've been, no matter what venue I've been in and who I've been leading, my heart is always that, that Jesus would be heard and seen and that people would be able to connect to him, that I would be out of the way that people would be able to have an encounter with God. And mm. so that's always my heart. Amen. But for this, um, our home here at Grace, this body specifically, I just, I really feel like God is just saying, like, I have more for you. I have more for you. I want to call you deeper and deeper. Like, God's never done with us, this this side of heaven. And so Amen. I just, I, uh, we just, as Andrew and I have been praying and just seeking after God, we just really feel like there's just so much more. Amen. And we're just so humbled to be a part of that, that we get to be used by God in that, um, in this portion of what we do on here, uh, here on a Sunday morning. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, so um, you seem so bold and confident all the time. Like, have you always been that way? Like, you know, you, you lead with such um, fervor for the Lord. And has that always been the case for you? The short answer is no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, so my husband is an extrovert, and if you've seen him, like, bopping around here, you know that. He's just, like, smiley and just like, hey, hey, hey. Um, and that's why we make a really good team, because uh, I am introverted, 
And so I get off stage, and, and the reaction I get from people sometimes is, oh, you're not a jerk. Okay, good. Good to know. Um, <laughs> because I <laughs> takes a little longer for me to, like, you know, um, come out, and, and uh, I'm, I'm a little shyer. I, I observe, you know, more, and um, that I do talk. And, but, uh, and I've always, it's funny, because I've always, like, used that, I think, as an excuse. Like, God has shown me recently, like, Leah, you can't hide behind that anymore, like, what I've called you to do, not even on stage, but also just, like, out just in my own personal time of worship, like, to worship in spirit and in truth. I can't box God into that, and that's what I was doing, is I was like, oh, well, I'm an introvert, and so I'm shy, and I just, that's just not me, like, you're not going to, I'm not hype, you know, you're not going to see me, like, dancing around the stage, all that stuff, like, that's just not me, and as I've grown in my relationship with Jesus and as God has just taught me more and more about worship I really feel like the Holy Spirit has just been working on my heart about that like don't box me into that like that might be an aspect of your personality but when you worship me like all of that can go away (laughs) you know like like the it's just crazy how like the spirit like transforms us as we as we draw deeper into the Lord and so I've always it's taken me a really long time to get to where I am today, where I'm, like, looking people in the eye and, like, you know, like, exhort exhortation and all of that stuff and dancing around and mm. and singing out loud. Like, I've always been very, like, withdrawn. and But I just, when I think about who God is and what he's done for me, and I can't help but be, yeah. you know, like, crazy and, and just, you know. So, yeah. Amen. Yeah. So I guess that's true for a lot of us. We kind of use our personalities sometimes as excuses um, and in ways of boxing God in, you know. And, but we've said this little phrase, we cannot follow Jesus and remain the same, right? And so he's always wanting to push down the walls of the box and expand our understanding of who he is and who we are in him. So that's one obstacle. But talk to us a little bit more about some of the other obstacles that you've had to overcome to be free like free in worship, to worship in spirit and in truth? What are some of the obstacles that you face that maybe some of us face? Well, um, it's, been a, it's been a variety of different things. Um, the biggest thing has been myself and my past. Um, my family, I, I come from a very big family, and we all grew up in church. My parents H- how are very, How big? How big, Leah? I have nine siblings. Nine siblings. Yes, that's a very big family. She said very big. She didn't mean four. She meant nine. <laughs> That's like today's like big, yeah. Um, so, uh, but my, my parents are very godly people. Uh, we all grew up in church, but I really like struggled. Um, from mm. the time I was, I think it started when I was 13 years old. I, I battled um, an addiction to pornography. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and that held, held me, held on to me for about seven years. Yeah. And I also struggled with um, depression. It runs in my family. Um, so my sister, one of my sisters battles that, and my dad. And um, that really held me captive for a long time. Yeah. And so, um, so trying to overcome those things and, and then feeling like there's this calling on my life and an anointing on my life to lead worship, but also just even in my own devotional time, um, growing up AG, feeling like um, tell us what ag is because a lot of people assemblies don't know what AG. of god yeah okay. yeah so assemblies yeah. of god and not knocking the ag at all um or any denomination for that matter it's just where i grew up in it was the atmosphere was a little more um 
legalistic. Mm. Um, and so I just kind of grew up under this ceiling of, like, I've got to do the right things. I've got to say the right things. I've got to look the part. I've got to be the part. And, and, so, and, and even now, I, I struggle with, like, perfectionism, approval. Yeah. Um, and so all of those have been obstacles in, in being who God has called me to be as a worship leader, but also just as his daughter in worship, Amen. like in my, own, Amen. in my own life. Um, because the enemy wants to constantly remind us of our past. Mm. Um, and so even though um, God delivered me from the pornography addiction and he healed me of the depression, yes. he set me free. The enemy likes to come back and tap me on the shoulder sometimes and be like, hey, remember that thing? And, yeah. um, and that has always been something that, you know, is standing behind me trying to distract me, trying to knock me off course, trying to say, like, you're not worthy. You can't lead these people. You can't do this. Or when I'm in my prayer closet and I'm on my knees before God. God's mad at you. He doesn't love you. You know, all these lies. All these lies. All these lies. That's right. And um, so I've had to overcome all of that, just my past, myself, uh, the enemy, the world, um, and even just, you know, legalism, religion. Mm -hmm. um, And (laughs) all of that was, has, has been conquered and defeated. And that's the victory. But I, in, order to, in order to stay in that victory and stay in that freedom, I've had to keep my eyes on Jesus. Um, and I've had to stay in that relationship with God actively. Yes. Because it always wants to come back and, and try and knock you off course. Mm. Yeah. What a testimony for the glory of God. What a story he's written in your heart, right? Yeah. I know you and I have talked about this a little bit, but doesn't the enemy go after, he always goes after our identity, doesn't he? So like as you talk about your past, he wants to somehow make us what we've done. He wants to first of all burden us down with sin, but then somehow turn, turn that into who we are. And you know you're a daughter of the most high God, but God has to consistently, you have to go to God to remind you of that. I know I do, and to fight the lies. So, so here's a couple questions. Like one, um, and I think you answered some of this, but how do you seek God in order to stay awake to who he is and who you are in him. I think he answered that a little bit. And then talk a little bit about how communities played a role in that too, because I think that's important. Yeah, well for me, I'm, and I think, I think this is pretty consistent for everybody, but um, the word of God, you know, like, like you can't forsake the word of God in your, in your life, in your relationship with the Lord. It's so vital. (laughs) Um, But that has, you know, so just time with God um, prayer, private worship, um, but just being in the Word of God because, well, I'm I'm basic, I'm pretty much useless up here if I'm not plugged into Jesus. You know, like I can I can generate something fake and 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 I can put on a mask for a while, but eventually that's going to come out. Yeah. Um, but just being rooted and grounded in the Word um, because that that's just shown me more of who God is. It's shown me His heart. Um, and so then that deepens my, my worship of him. Um, God longs for us to worship in spirit and in truth. And so I can't do that, and we can't do that if we're not in the word. That's right. um, and then in that, in discovering more of who God is, we find ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so then that also just helps me in my worship of God as I learn more of who I am. Like, I am a daughter of the king. 
I am basically royalty because of you Jesus, are. you know, like I, Hallelujah. I can stand up here. <laughs> That's yeah, awesome. I can stand up here in confidence and in freedom and in joy and boldness because God is for me, not against me, you know? Amen. And so, so all of these truths that we draw from scripture, like we use them in worship and they, they're connected. You can't separate the two. Mm. Um, but so that's that's the first thing, and then as far as community is concerned, you know, we've just been we've just been so overwhelmed by the community here. Mm-hmm. We've never had anything like that. We've been married for three years, and we've never had anything like that. Um, just uh, the staff here, you and your leadership, Ben, Mark, Alex, um, just all of our pastors and our leaders. Um, we have a very gracious, awesome pastor. <laughs> I just want to say that. Um, that wasn't in the note. <laughs> you didn't pay me to say that. <laughs> I didn't pay you to say um, that. <laughs> but just that, like, um, just all of you, just the accountability, the prayers, the grace, um, the leadership, um, the, the instruction, um, and then, like, our house church, like, the community of young married and, and, and singles that we've been able to just surround ourselves with to pray for us, to, to do life with, um, but also just the church here, um, just being a part of this um, is just so important to, um, to, to your relationship with the Lord. It's, it's, it's important to us. Um, but, you know, when I'm, when I'm up here and I'm, and I'm leading worship, like just looking out and seeing um, just the the variety of expression, which is so beautiful, whether it's someone who's on their knees, um, bowed in reverence, or it's someone who has their hands lifted, or someone's shouting, or someone's dancing, or someone's just, like, quietly praying, you know, before the Lord, like, all of it, like, I feed off of that, you know, that, that faith fuels my faith, and so as I'm up here, and I'm, I'm leading, that is just, like, fueling my like me as, as, we're, as we're moving on up the mountain, you know? <laughs> so. Well, and I think that's so biblical too because, you know, the scripture said that Jesus went back mm. to his hometown and he could not perform miracles there due to their lack of faith. And I was struck by that reality, like he couldn't, he couldn't do miracles there. Faith, our faith is integral in how God's works. So what you're talking about is what I feel when I preach the same thing is that I key off of the faith of God's people and that really stirs us together. And I love how you say it, to go up the mountain. That's so beautiful, that's so beautiful. Well, what would you say to people who are still potentially inhibited? I know you mentioned that you key off of people's postures, but the whole Germanic kind of posture we mentioned last time. Um, what would you say that the people who are potentially inhibited or controlled by their fears of looking foolish, like what would you say to us when we get to that place where we're afraid of what other people think and that inhibits the way that we worship? Well, we have to, um, I would say to that person, you, ha- you, have, to, you have to be in the word. You, ha- you have to be with Jesus throughout the week. Um, I think the first mistake that we make as we come in and, uh, and I'm preaching to myself because I'm, I'm speaking from experience. Um, I used to come in on Sunday and just and think that that was like enough to fill me up. And then I would just, the rest of my week, wouldn't walk with the Lord, like wouldn't be in prayer. Or maybe like say a prayer before I eat or like on my drive or something. And then maybe like read a scripture on my phone. But that was the extent of it. Yeah. And, um, and so then, you know, on Sunday, my worship was just, uh, in song or in the word, it was just, it, it was always like stagnant, you know, it wasn't going anywhere because I wasn't 
receiving any like deeper revelation of who God is, who I am in Christ, you know, and so then there was just nothing to go off of, mm. if you will. Um, and so we, we have to be in the word. We have to spend time with Jesus. Um, it's, 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 it's a relationship, you know. It's, it's not a religion. Right. When we just come to church, we treat it like a religion. But when we are with Jesus throughout the week, it's a relationship. Um, yeah. And uh, um, and then the other thing, too, is I would say that... Um, I would say that we have, the other thing we have to do is we have to stop boxing God into our personalities, our experiences, our backgrounds, a denomination. Mm -hmm. We do that a lot. Sure. Um, I don't think there is, again, we worship in spirit and in truth. So we're led by the Holy Spirit in us to worship Jesus. And so what that means is, is that like if I'm responding out of like, um, enthusiasm or, ex, you know, just wanting to be excited in the moment, or maybe I've got my arms crossed. Like, that's all myself, yes, right? Yes. I want to go with Jesus. I want to go with the Holy Spirit to lift up the name of Jesus. And so if God tells me to shout, I want to be obedient and shout. shout. If right. God tells me to be quiet mm. and be still before him and be reverent, I want to do that thing. Right. I don't want to box God into well, I'm Pentecostal, so I'm going to be crazy, or I, yeah, <laughs> or I come from a frozen you know, chosen background, tra- yeah, more traditional, like the Presbyterian. I, I was, I grew up in the frozen chosen. You thing, said so. it, not me. Yeah, so. yeah. I was just going to say more traditional background. <laughs> well, I can say it because I grew up in that. I, yeah, I grew up so, in the frozen chosen, and you grew up in the woo woo kind yeah, of thing, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. And so, like. And, and neither of those is, like, the end-all, be-all. No. It's, we're never going, and I think that's the thing is, like, we, we can also trick ourselves to thinking, like, we've arrived. Yes. This is as good as it gets. Right. God always has more for us, and we won't know that more if we're not in relationship with him. Yes. But the beautiful thing is that if we're led by the Spirit in worship, we, we know God loves us, and we love him, and we can trust him. Right. So what he asks us to do, mm. you know, as we respond in obedience, it just gets better and better. Amen. Um, but when we're so consumed with self, that's where the fear, the distraction, the <sighs> excuses set in. Yes. And we have to be on guard against that. And I've, I've been there, done that, you know. Yeah. I've, I've been on both sides of it. Um, yeah where you think you have to be like crazy and kooky all the time. <laughs> Some or people you, think that, you know, when you invite yeah. them to, to like trust the Lord to be expressive, and I think we said this in our time together, they think that we're telling them to fall down on the floor and flail around yeah. or speak in tongues and do all this kind of stuff, and that's not what it's about, right? No, I mean, it's, it's about Jesus. It's about worship. So whatever the Spirit calls us to do, like today, God was like, Leah, I want you to dance. As much as depends on you with that guitar, you know, because it's hard for me to, like, move with the guitar. So sometimes right. I'm just like, oh, I just need to put this stinking thing down, right. <laughs> you know, right. Right. Um, because it kind of, I'm like, it limits me. But, like, I really felt like God today was just like, Leah, no matter what the response is in the room today, you, you dance and you worship for an audience of one. Mm, for an audience um, of one. Yeah. Praise so, God. Um, so, yeah. And so it's, it's always going to be whatever he wants it to be. Mm. Um, and that's the beautiful thing about it. Leah, we're so grateful for you and for Andrew and for Jesus in you. Would you please give our sister a warm applause? Give me a hug. Thank you. Beautiful. We are so richly blessed, are we not? Amen. 
I love listening to Jesus speak through his children. And especially those, you know, I think Leah's been with us now. She said, what did she say, eight months? Is that what it is? And what we, we together haven't heard her story. And so when I was able to sit with her this week, I was just in awe of what Jesus does in a heart. You know, a lot of people long for miracles. And I think miracles are a beautiful thing. A miracle of somebody being healing, healed um, from sickness, that's a beautiful thing. We see a, a, a miracle of a provision. You know, we, we love, those miracles are amazing testimonies to God. But can I tell you the greatest miracle of all is a changed heart. It's a changed heart for the glory of God. So when you hear a sister talk about bondage and, and things that she was involved in, how Jesus cut the chains and broke the chains and set her free and is still setting her free, um, you can see that I'm, am I, what's that battery pack laying there? I'm confused, okay. I'm sorry, I confuse easily and I was feeling very deeply convicted when Leah was talking about being distracted because I made the mistake of getting on Facebook this morning say, ooh, go ahead, ooh. I also make the mistake occasionally of posting my political opinions on Facebook. Say, I also make the error of assuming that somehow we can have respectful discourse on Facebook. (laughs) Those things are just not so. And so I'm learning. I'm learning. But I came here this morning ready to talk to you from the word of God. And as Leah said, when we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the word of God comes alive to us. And when God speaks to you, it changes who you are. The question is, are you listening? And the question is, am I listening? So I'm gonna page through a few of these. I wanted to remind you that we have a night of worship and prayer upcoming. It's Saturday, October 21st at 6.30. Please mark your calendars for that. As a family, we wanna come together. You can invite friends if you want, but this is a time where we're coming together and we're just praying and we're just worshiping together. And it's really kind of a culmination of these series. We wanna see the Lord continue to refine us and mold us and shape us in being all that he wants us to be. So please put that on your calendar. Now remember, we've said during this series that gaining freedom in Christ will require taking risks and probably even risks that make us look foolish. However, we cannot follow Jesus and remain the same. We cannot. So go ahead and let's stand up together. Come on, we're gonna walk through them again. You're like, Pastor Jeff, are you gonna walk me through through these every Sunday? The answer is yes, probably, probably. If you have your booklet, remember these are on page 39. If you didn't get your little refrigerator magnet, I think we have some more out there, so you can get one of those. Okay, so the first one was the word we did last week. Remember, yada, yada. Okay, I'm still working on it, but it's not there. I still look dorky. You ready? Halal, halal, right? That's to be clamorously foolish and boast for God, which is what we're talking about today. Remember, this one was to raise hands and surrender and praise to God. So when you raise your hands in church, you are doing something very, very biblical. And so, halal, to be clamorously foolish and boast for God. We're going to get that today. This one, todah. I love this word. This word says to thank God for things not yet received. Shabak. Shabak. Oh, my gosh, Ron. Wow. That was a thunderous clamor for the Lord to shout to God for the glory of God. Barak. To kneel before God in reverence and submission. Zamar. Zamar, or you can play the piano, you can hit the drums, you can do whatever you want. This is to play instruments beautifully for God. And then Tahila. How many of you like to sing? 
how many of you think you have a bad voice? You can sit down. <laughs> the scripture says nothing. Nothing about you needing to have a good voice to sing. The scripture says make a joyful noise unto the Lord. And so today we're going to talk about this word halal. And halal, and that was like I was supposed to do it in a different order. But halal is just another way that we kind of express worship. So worship is defined as a passionate and loving response to the reality of who God is and who we are in him. The psalmist says, praise the Lord my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. David is in love with who God is and he is passionately responding to the reality of who God is and who he is in him. Look, if you know Jesus Christ, if you're here today and you know Jesus Christ, you are a son or daughter of the Most High God. That's who you are. And this reality that Leah was talking about, when you allow that to go more from your head to your heart, and you understand who you are, you walk in a bold humility. And you become more in love with Jesus because you know who he is and what he did for you. So worship and praise, they're not things that you put on. They're not ways in which you act. They're ways in which you respond to the presence of God in your life. The question is, are you experiencing the presence of God in your life? If you're not, can I guarantee you something? You're probably distracted. If you're in Christ and yet you're not experiencing his presence in your life, you're not intentionalizing spending time with him. And, and, and one of the ways that you have to spend time with him, which is what Leah talked about, was in his word. Remember, God has given us his spirit, his word, and his people. Say that with me. His spirit, his word, and his people. I could hammer this home forever. Because God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. That's what the word of God says. Now the first thing he's given you in Christ is his Holy Spirit. The Holy Ghost in you. And when God puts his spirit in you, this spirit guides you and prompts you and moves you and reveals all truth to you if you listen to the spirit. But the scripture says the spirit is at war with your flesh. So they are in conflict with one another. So Jesus wants to kill your flesh. So that your spirit can live in communion with his spirit, for you are a spiritual being. You see, God longs for his spirit to move in you and through you. So when you come to the word, you read the word in the spirit of God. You do know that the Bible has been used to commit some heinous evils, right? You do know that the enemy of God, Satan himself, knows scripture, right? You know that he quotes scripture when he tries to tempt Jesus in the garden, right? So he knows the word of God, and he knows who the God of the word is, and yet he hates him. And because he hates him, and he can't hurt him, he's coming after you. He wants to push you down. He wants to keep you from being effective for the cause of Christ here in this place called planet Earth, which is beautiful, but just so, so broken. Can anybody say amen? amen. My gosh, are we not broken can you even turn on the news and know that we're not broken? Like, I don't want to get political here. But I mean, like, you watch these hearings, right? You watch the Senate and stuff, and you go, oh, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on us sinners. 
Like, like we are so prone to sinfulness. Folks, people are going to say the problem with the world is this and this and that and that and that. We just need to get these people in here. We need to do this. The problem is sin. And the answer is Jesus Christ. The blood of Christ spilt on the cross for us. That is the answer. He is the answer. And sometimes I even forget that as I enter into these conversations with people either face-to-face or most of the time on Facebook, which is a really interesting word. Fake book. book. Yeah, whatever it is, bro. I mean, like, I, and I, you know, I start thinking, like, oh, you know, I'm going to make this point. No, the point is a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. And when we remember that, our souls are inclined to worship because worship is a passionate and loving response to who he is. So today, I want to look together at a picture of Halal. Now, I could go through numerous scriptures. You know, Halal is in hundreds of scriptures. In the Bible, in the Old Testament, it is the root word of hallelujah. So when you put Halal together, to be clamorously foolish together with Yah, which is a part of God's name, you get to be clamorously foolish for God. Hallelujah. Say hallelujah. If you say it like a real Jew, you would kind of spit on the first part of it. Hallelujah. Say that. Hallelujah. Now wipe off the person in front of you. So the word's not even contained in this passage. However, this passage is a great demonstration of what it means to halal for God. This is David dancing before the Lord. We're going to look at 2 Samuel 6, and I'm going to read 1 through 23. It's a big chunk of scripture. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. Now look, David is inclined to halal before God. There's some points that I want to point out as we read through the scripture. And then I want to talk about realities that we have and see that David didn't know. Because the point I want to make today is this. If David was willing, was willing to be humiliated before all these people for God and he didn't know what we know, how much more so should we be willing to be crazy for God? You know, getting giddy for God. Giddiness means being disoriented, to the, like filled with joy to the point of disorientation. Your scripture says this, do not get drunk on wine, but be drunk on the, the spirit. The Spirit of God is supposed to come to us in such a way that we experience the presence of God and we become giddy for God. Disorientation with joy, right, because of who he is. So listen, this is, I'm going to start in verse 1. David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. That's a pretty good chunk of young men there. He and all his men went to Bilal and Judah to bring up from there the Ark of God which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. You can just note that. We're going to talk about cherubim today. They set the ark of God on the new cart, and they bought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahiah, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it, and Ahiah was walking in front of it. Now, by the way, they put it on a cart. That wasn't the way that they were instructed to carry the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was the central piece of the tabernacle. We're going to talk about the Ark today. 
But David is bringing this ark back because he is a godly man and David wants to restore worship of Yahweh to the nation of Israel. Why? Because they once again have turned to false gods. And so he wants them to worship the one true God together. And so he very much like we are is in a place where he's longing for people to passionately respond to the reality of who God is and who we are in him. So David and all of Israel were celebrating with all their might. You can circle that, underline that, do something with it, highlight it before the Lord with castanets, with harps, with lyres, timbrels, cisterns, and cymbals. They were making a joyful noise. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled and the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down, and he died there beside the ark of God. Now, stuff like this, when you get to the scripture, is hard passages. Anybody say amen to that? You're like, God, the dude just made a mistake. What happened? You took him out. All right, let me just say something about this. First of all, we don't know that God didn't take him home. So, like, are there days where you just, like, want to be taken out? Oh, yeah, okay. So, like, we don't know what's going on here, but the truth of the matter is we don't know that God didn't take Uzzah home. We just know that God was showing his character because God always shows his character through how he treats his people. He always shows that. Now, this part of his character is called holiness. This part of his character is called glory. And the Israelites were given specific instructions as to how to carry the Ark of the Covenant, which David blew off, And they were told also, do not touch it. And so it was touched. And can I tell you what that represented? That represented that the glory of God was not to be shared by men. In other words, glory was supposed to go to God, not to man. Can I give you a warning? Can I give you a warning here in the church of Jesus Christ? All of us have something called ego. And every single one of us at times is inclined to seek position and power and glory for ourselves. It's part of your sinfulness, family of God. It's part of my sinfulness, family of God. And can I tell you, I've wrestled with this in my own life. But if you are seeking position and power that God has not prepared you for in the church yet, you better sit down. Because you are going to cause more damage than good for the glory of God. Because the point is, it's now about you and it's no longer about God. God is a jealous God. And his glory is reserved for him and him alone. Now we share in that glory in a unique way, being his children. But God is the one to be glorified. And I think here he was just saying, hey, wake up. Pay attention to what I say. I am God, I am holy, I am set apart, and I am the one to be glorified. And I think he took this son of God home. But then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah. So David was afraid of the Lord that day, I can think so. Don't you think that's a little wake-up call? Do you have any wake-up calls? You know, you live in a season of God's gospel called sowing and reaping. I don't really believe that curses are something that children of God experience from God. I think that's the old. The new covenant is sowing and reaping. And sowing and reaping means that you will reap what you sow. And so when you start reaping something that you've sown, is that a wake-up call for you? And you do say, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And do you repent? 
Do you turn away from your sin or do you keep doing the same thing over and over again expecting different results? There is a joy in the fear of God. And the joy in the fear of God is this, that when I get afraid of God because of his law being perfect in every way, now his law was fulfilled in Jesus Christ, but do I want to run in opposition to God? No. No. And so there's joy in the fear of God. Why? Because God disciplines everyone he loves. Some of us, how many of you like to be disciplined? How many of you love just children to be disciplined? Oh, Dad, just come on, lay one on me, right here. Come on, Mom, give me a strip talking to. Come on, bring it on, I'll take it. No, none of us do. You know why we don't want to be corrected? Because we're prideful. Now, by the way, there's another part of that which is protective because not everybody should be correcting us and not every correction is from God. We're going to see that in a few minutes. But David had holy fear of God. And holy fear is a good thing for us to have, reverence and awe for who God is and a trust in who he is, but also a desire to follow him. He said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Odeb-Enod and, and get the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Now, by the way, he was bringing the ark back from the Philistines. The Philistines had stolen it, but they didn't really want it because everywhere it went, people got sick. Think about that one for a little while. So he's bringing it back. And now he's bringing it to this place, and because this man's a godly man, and because it's a godly course of action, now the whole household is blessed. Now King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Ebed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken it six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf, wearing a linen ephod, a linen ephod which is a, like a priest's robe, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. And while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord's with shabaks and the sounds of zamar, trumpets. He's halaling. He's being clamorously foolish for God. Now this ark, by the way, represented something to the Hebrew that we need to understand. And I'm going to go through it in a few minutes. But it didn't represent just the presence of God. That would be enough. But it was the place in which you had a conversation with God. You heard from God and you spoke to God. God's presence hovered above the mercy seat. And the priest would go in with intercession for the people. And they would listen to God and they would speak to God. And this was the place of intimacy with God. So David is saying, it's coming back to us. This place of intimacy with my God. And he's dancing with all his might and he's shouting and he's filled with halal, filled with joy because God's presence is now back with God's people. And as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, do you know who that guy is? That guy was the king before David and he wasn't a godly king. David's a godly king but Saul was not but Michael was one of David's wife. Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window and listened. When she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. We got to stop and talk about that for a while. How many of you 
have ever despised someone, maybe it's a strong word, you probably won't connect with it. Maybe How many of you have ever been irritated by someone who's more joyful than you are? Come on, like, isn't it true when we're stuck in our stuff and we got our hands in our pockets and our hang his head hanging like this, and well, I'm nothing, nobody loved me, I'm a worthless piece of whatever. And then somebody's going, praise the Lord. Don't you want to just like take out your imaginary gun and... That was an imaginary thing, okay? I don't want to get any second whatever stuff going on here. But like, so, so like you're going to go like, oh, yuck. But see, what we're called to do is watch other people celebrate and allow that to ignite something in our hearts. Now, look, I understand when we're down, celebration isn't always the thing we're even supposed to be around. But she despised him in her heart. I said this last week, and it was a quote that I gave you, but one of the greatest hindrances to revival is someone who detests enthusiasm. Is someone who does not like to see other people enthusiastic. And you might want to ask yourself the question, am I so stuck in the mud that I resent people when they're happy? She, I think, was stuck in the mud. Her lineage kind of pointed to it. And it kind of sounds like this probably was a place that she resided. I don't really know. But Michael despised her in his heart, in her heart. So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in the place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. He gave them a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women and all the people went to their homes 20 when David returned to his home to bless his household Michael daughter of Saul came out to meet him she came out to meet him she didn't wait for him to come in she went out to him how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today going around half naked in full view of slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. She is pouring out what is called toxic shame. She didn't wait for him to come to her. She went to him. Now, let me give you something. If you become someone who is in love with Jesus visibly, you will have toxic shame coming your way. You will have the voice of the accuser working through people, places, and things to come your way and say, don't you look like a dork. Don't you look like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're disgracing yourself that way. Now, a lot of people, they, they take this vulgar word as meaning sexual. It doesn't really mean that. She's basically saying, you are indignant. You, you just, you're like a fool. Now, how many of you have ever been called a fool? How many of you are foolish? Okay, so sometimes you just have to agree with the accuser and move on. Uh, I'll take that into consideration. You're right, I'm a fool. But I'd rather be a fool for Jesus than a fool in this world. So David said to Michael, look, Chica, that's my translation, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or any from his household when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. Circle that, underline that, highlight. He's saying, honey, I perform for an audience of one. 
He said, I was dancing before God. And by the way, you think because you're Saul's daughter that somehow there's this lineage of shame that you can dump on me? No, I'm sorry. Speak to the hand. I remember the first time I ever heard that. I used to teach piano years ago, and I had this like cadre of students, like 50 students. So this little student named Caitlin Jenkins, and she was a cute little button kind of girl. She was like eight or nine years old. She was really sassy. I, I like sassy people. You know, like, you can mix it up with them. How many people like sassy people? I like people who get stuff out because you know it's out, right? Rather than the person that holds it. I want people like to get, okay, well, that wasn't pretty, but at least I know what you're thinking, you know? And so at one point, you know, she, I was trying to instruct her as to what to do, and I would slave drive my students lovingly. I'd say, well, let's play it again. Let's play it again. Play it again. And, I, you know, I probably had her on the fourth or fifth time of playing this one measure again, and she just looked at me, and she put her hand out in front of my face. She said, speak to the hand. <laughs> I said, you little sassy girl. But I laughed with her, and I said, do it again. She did it again. But David is basically saying to Michael, Speak to the hand. And can I tell you something? If you want to experience the joy of the Lord, if you want to halal for him, you are going to have to learn to say, speak to the hand, I love Jesus, and I perform for an audience of one. You see, that's what David is saying to her here. He says, look, when he he was appointed me over rule of the Lord's household, I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. He said, you think you're ashamed of me in your eyes? I'm going to get to the point where I'm actually embarrassed of my own behavior because of who he is. Often I say this before I preach. God, if my humiliation means your glorification, all right, let's have at it. Because I need to be humbled, God. But you need to be glorified more than anything else. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. Boy, that's a packed statement. He said, you know, Michael, you're coming, you're coming at me from this position of being Saul's daughter. You're kind of high and mighty looking down your nose at me. But these people who you see as lowly, they're actually going to hold me in honor because you have to be laid low to find a relationship with God. And the humble are the ones that God rejoices, he lifts them up. So he's saying, look, these ones that you don't hold in such high regard, neither me, he said, they're going to hold me in honor because I'm worshiping God. And Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. So here's what I want to say to you. David, David was so excited about the presence of God in his life through the Ark of the Covenant that he was willing to become ridiculously embarrassed for the glory of God. And to those who shamed him, he held out a hand and he said, I love you, but it doesn't really matter what you think. It only matters what God thinks. And I'm a man after his own heart. And I'm going to celebrate him. Now, I want to talk to you today about the ark because I think that there's things that we need to understand about the ark. And I'm going to go back for a second. And then I'll show you this little video. The Ark of the Covenant was the central fixture in the tabernacle. It really was the central um, piece of holiness when you talk about objects the most holy object to the nation of Israel was the ark of the covenant and I wanted you to watch this this is straight from scripture and then we're going to talk a little bit about the ark of the covenant let's watch you turn this up for folks and they shall make an ark of acacia wood two and a half cubits shall be its length a cubit and a half its width and a cubit and a half its height and you shall overlay it with pure gold inside and out you shall overlay it and shall make on it a molding of gold all around. You shall cast four rings of gold for it, and put them in its four corners. Two rings shall be on one side, 
and two rings on the other side, and Shu make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. You shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark, that the ark may be carried by them. The poles shall be in the rings of the ark, they shall not be taken from it, and you shall put into the ark the testimony which I will give you. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two and a half cubits shall be its length, and a cubit and a half its width. And you shall make two cherubim of gold, of hammered work you shall make them at the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub at one end, and the other cherub at the other end, and you shall make the cherubim at the two ends of it one piece with the mercy seat. And the cherubim shall stretch out their wings above, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and they shall face one another. The faces of the cherubim shall be toward the mercy seat. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I will give you. And there I will meet with you, and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim which are on the ark of the testimony, about everything which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. Okay, so that's straight from scripture. Um, that we hear God giving very, very specific instructions as to how to build the Ark of the Covenant. And so the Ark of the Covenant, you know, it contained the tablets, first and foremost, that had the law, the Ten Commandments. And we know from Scripture then there were other added items later on in time. One of those was the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, and then also a jar of manna, which was bread that fell from heaven. Uh, It was a container that was placed in the Ark of the Covenant. And this was a holy It was placed in the Holy of Holies behind the veil, and the priest on Yom Kippur, once a year, would go in and sprinkle the blood of a slain animal on the mercy seat as atonement for the sins of the people. And he would have communion with God because it says, I will speak to you from above the mercy seat. God is speaking to his people. And this is a holy thing. Now, by the way, the Ark of the Covenant has not been discovered. If you'd reach this, it's not, oh, it's been found. No, it hasn't. And there's actually reference, references in Revelation that the Ark of the Covenant is in heaven. But we don't really know. We don't really understand that. So what we do understand is God gave very specific instructions as to how to construct the Ark of the Covenant. And when God does anything like that, he has intention. He has intention. Now, David is rejoicing because this Ark of the Covenant is coming back to him. He doesn't even know what you and I know. I'm going to say that again. David doesn't even know what you and I know, and yet he's dancing furiously before God and before people, willing to humiliate himself, halaling like crazy. That's even the right way to use the word. And he doesn't even know what we know. How much more so? Should we rejoice in the Lord? Listen to 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the spirit of the Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. When they spoke of the things that were now been told to you by those who have been preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into such things. 
This should blow your mind because God longs to reveal things to you that even angels don't know. You see, when you, when you start to understand this and you start to see God's hand and you start to hear God speak to you, you start becoming a little unglued, a little unhinged, and you go, oh my gosh, God is so amazing. He's just so incredible. Nobody can paint a picture like this. Nobody can weave together a mosaic like this. Nobody can speak to my heart like this. And David was just tasting a bit of what we're tasting. If we're awake to it, Hebrews says all these things were just a shadow of things to come. They were just kind of things that pointed, and I want to tell you they pointed to Jesus Christ. The Ark of the Covenant points to Jesus Christ. Now, some of what I want to say to you today falls into the category of personal revelation from the Lord. But I do think that everything I'm going to say to you has biblical precedence for it. But I do believe that God, with intention, created the Ark of the Covenant to point to the person of Jesus Christ. And if you read your Old Testament, every word, every passage, every paragraph, every book points to the Messiah. Because in him, everything comes together. And when you start seeing Jesus on every page, you go, hallelujah, hallelujah. My God is great. The Ark was constructed of wood and gold. Now, we believe that this intentionally was because Jesus' humanity and his divinity are combined together, fully human, yet fully God. So God says, look, create this box out of Arcadia wood, which is the least corruptible wood, and coat it with gold, not only on the outside, but also on the inside. Why? Because Jesus Christ is fully man and fully God. He is both human and divine. The glory of God was shown in the Ark of the Covenant by who carried it. The covenant was um, to be carried only by the priests. So if you understand what's happening here, they've been told to take these poles that are constantly put through the holes on the Ark of the Covenant, and only the priests are to carry the Ark. Why? Because only a priest can carry the presence of God. Now, a lot of people have kind of hit us on this at times here at Grace. Well, this person doesn't believe in Jesus, but why can't they hold a position in ministry? Can I tell you why? Because no one but a priest can carry the presence of God. This is why Leah and Andrew are very, very focused on this team up here loving God with all their heart, with all their mind, with all their soul, and with all their strength. Well, this guy can play guitar well. I don't care. Is he a priest is the question. Is she a priest is the question. Is she ambassador for the glory of God? For only the priests can carry the presence of God. Do you understand? So, so many of us think, well, you know, we're doing good here for folks. Like this person, you know, uh, they have a good heart. No, they don't, honey. Well, what are you telling me, Jeff? You're telling me that people's hearts can be bad? Yes, I'm telling you that every person's heart is bad. That's what the scripture says. I'm not saying that they can't do good things. I'm not saying that they don't create, reveal the image of God. I'm not saying that at all. The scripture says the heart is deceitful beyond understanding. It's wicked. So we need to be redeemed. We need to be bought back to be priests for the kingdom of God. And the priests are the one who have the honor of carrying the presence of God. What about the contents? You know, um, the law, the Ten Commandments and the Pentateuch, the scripture says that Jesus fulfilled all the law. 
So Jesus Christ is the one who actually fulfills all the law within him. Why? So that he can now live inside of you and fulfill the law in you. Folks, the law was not given to you so that you could actually do the dance of adaptivity and try and figure out how to be accepted by God. That's not why the law was given. The law was given to convict you of your sin. When you look into the law and you're supposed to go, I can't do this. And God says, you're right, you can't, but I can in you. And when Jesus Christ fulfilled the law as the perfect man, the perfect man as God came and died in our place, this means that the law was fulfilled in him. Now the container of manna, it was in the Ark of the Covenant. Jesus Christ called himself the bread of life. He is your provision for every area of your life. When God says you have everything you need for life and godliness, you know what he's doing? He's just pointing to Jesus. He's saying, you got him. All right, you got him? You need everything you need. His Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You have everything you need for life and godliness. I've given you it all. It was also inside the Ark of the Covenant, a sprouted rod of Aaron, one point where God allows his priest to lay down rods before him, and he says, whoever rods sprout, that's the priest. That's the one I'm going to point out. And so Aaron's rod sprouts, and they took that sprouted rod, and they put it, put it in the Ark of the Covenant. What does that point to? Jesus Christ is called a shoot of Jesse. He is one growing up out of, and he is the Messiah. It also points to the resurrection. Not only that, but he is a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. When you begin to understand these things and see them, and you start to actually look at the Scripture, and the Holy Spirit reveals to it, you go, Oh my gosh, God, you are too good, hallelujah, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. I am going to get ridiculously disoriented right now for Jesus because, God, you are revealing yourself to me. The Ark of the Covenant had the mercy seat. The mercy seat was solid gold. It was a place of communion with God. And as I said, the priests on Yom Kippur would go there once a year and sprinkle the blood in the presence of God and the intimacy with him. Do you know the scripture says that Jesus' blood was spilled out on the mercy seat. You see, we no longer sacrifice lambs unto God. Does anybody here sacrifice animals to God? Because if you do, we're calling some group on you. <laughs> Nobody does that. And if you want to talk to somebody who's a Jew, which by the way, I have great conversations with people who are Jewish. Why? Because we have the same foundations. You have to learn to have conversations with people who believe differently than you do, who don't believe in Jesus as Messiah. But one of the questions I often ask Jewish people I talk to is like, hey, how come you no longer sacrifice animals? And they go, well, I don't really know. I say, can I tell you why? Because Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. There's no need to sacrifice animals anymore. Jesus died once and for all sin and his blood was spilled out on the mercy seat for every single one of you and for every sin you will ever commit, every sin you have ever committed, it was washed away at the cross. He is the high priest in heaven. Now, I want to point out to you these cherubim. These, these cherubim hold a very special place, I think, because God instructed them to actually create these cherubim that are focused where the blood goes. They're focused where the blood goes. And cherubim, by the way, are guardians of God's righteousness and holiness. So in the garden, when, when the garden happens, you know this, we get booted out of the garden. Why? Because of sin. We fall into deception. We actually sin against God. We die spiritually. And God says, you're out of the garden. What does he put to guard the garden? Cherubim. 
These are guardians of God's righteousness and his holiness. And we see them in the garden and we see them in the grave. What? At the grave? Let me read to you John 20. Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white. Seated where Jesus' body had been. One at the head and one at the foot. Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there. But she didn't realize it was him. He asked, woman, why are you crying? Who it is you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she missed it. She said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and she cried in Aramaic, Rabboni, hallelujah, God. You have raised up from the dead the one whom I love. You see, do you hear him calling your name? For if you do, surely you will respond with a hallelujah deep from your heart. You will fall on your face like Mary did. You will weep and you will rejoice with such gladness because who Jesus Christ is. He came to Mary and he said, look, I won the battle. I settled the issue of your separation from me and I settled the issue of your sin with my blood poured out for And when we hear from God, we cannot help but respond with a great hallelujah. I'd like for you to stand with me. We have closing today. We're going to sing a final song. But before we do, I want to say that I've pointed a little bit to Genesis. We kind of hit midway of the book when we talked about the Ark of the Covenant and David dancing. Now we're going to go all the way to the end of the book. And we're going to look at Revelation because when you talk about halaling, Like, oh my, when we get to be with Jesus forever, you can be yadahing and halaling and shabaking for the rest of your life because you are going to be radically free. This is Revelation 19, verse 1. After this, I heard what seemed to be a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God for his judgments are true and just. He has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah. And the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Can I tell you what's going on here? Everything that hinders you is being thrown into a fire. Everything. Ask yourself right now, What are you tired of? And please don't say your husband. Maybe you're tired of his sinfulness. I get that, but God loves him. Please don't say your wife. Maybe you're tired of her sinfulness, but God loves her. But what are you tired of that God is tired of? What do you hate that God hates? Is it sin that so easily encroaches in your life? You know, God hates that. Why? Because he loves you. And you know what? Someday that is going to be burned up at the judgment seat of God. Folks, everything that hinders you is going up in smoke. 
And when you, when you see this, when you know this, you can actually start halaling God right now because you know one day it's just a blink of an eye. It's just a blink of an eye. So I want to ask now that you would join me in prayer. And then I'd ask that you actually, you know, in this little song we're going to sing here, it's, it's a good song. <laughs> it's a really good song. Be willing to look foolish for God. You don't have to roll on the floor. You can if you want, but do it over there, far away from other people, please. And like in the back, not in the front. We don't want to see you rolling around on the floor. Do it back here. But you can feel free to dance. Do a little bit of this. Do a lot of this. Do whatever you want. But I want to encourage you to go out knowing full well that Jesus loves you and that as you seek him with all your heart, he will reveal himself to you through his word through his spirit and through his people. And when he reveals himself to you, your soul will be filled up to the point of rejoicing and celebrating his goodness. No matter what's going on around you, no matter what the state of our country and our political mess, all that stuff, it doesn't matter. What matters is Jesus Christ glorified. And I saw heaven open up and behold a white horse. And the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in his righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like the flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him that no one knows him but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. Jesus, we thank you that you are the Word of God. We thank you that you died to reunite us to yourself, to have intimacy with you, to listen to you. God, help us to hear you through your spirit, through your word, and through your people. And as we do, we won't be able to help but worshiping you in spirit and in truth. Because after all, it was never about religion. It's always been about relationship with you. We pray this all in the precious name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen.